This is the American Association of Orthodontists, the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 13. Welcome. I'm Pam Paladin, here with Kevin Dillard, the AAO's General Counsel, and in our first segment, we'll meet the AAO's new Associate General Counsel and discuss his duties, including an important project under his direction, the AAO Component Legal Support Fund. In segment two, our discussion will focus on a recent Texas court ruling that's been in the news concerning a case that affects orthodontists and patients in that state. Welcome, Kevin. And welcome to our AAO Associate General Counsel, Sean Murphy, who joined the AAO in January 2016. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Pam. Thanks, Pam. Great to be here. Sean, would you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself professionally and personally? Um, And for example, I understand you have a family connection to dentistry. I do. I do indeed, Pam. Uh, My name is Sean Murphy. I'm originally from Rock Island, Illinois. My father actually is still a dentist practicing in Rock Island, Illinois. I also have a brother who is a dentist practicing in Sterling, Illinois, and a sister who is now a stay-at-home mom but was a dental hygienist practicing here in the St. Louis area. Uh, Although growing up in the Quad Cities, I moved to St. Louis several years back to attend law school. I graduated from St. Louis University School of Law in 2008. After that, I immediately got a job at a large national firm, which I worked at until this last December, doing litigation. And the type of, uh, I guess you could say, areas I practice in while at that national firm include business litigation. I did a little creditor work as well as uh, some antitrust work. Kevin, you and Sean will be working together to assist our members through the AAO and its related entities, but what do you see as Sean's primary duties? So Sean is going to be uh, primarily in charge of our state legal defense fund, which we began in 2015. Uh, He's also going to be injecting some new life into the AAO PAC, uh, talking to our members about the importance of the PAC, also talking to legislators and working with our uh, legislative Council in Washington, D.C., and, and of course, being a resource for members and being a resource for uh, the AO staff and, and as a corporate attorney here at the AO. For those members who aren't familiar with the AO Component Legal Support Fund, uh, let's give them some background. What, mm-hmm. What's its purpose and how long has it been in existence? Traditionally, and for as long as probably anybody can member, remember, the AO has been active in advocating legislatively and regulatorily at the federal level. We've had a legislative council there, a lobbyist in in other terms, uh, for over 20 years. We've had an AO PAC, which is a federal PAC, which we can give money to uh, only federal candidates. And all of our attention historically has really been focused on the federal level. What we noticed about five, six, seven years ago is that increasingly state issues, uh, state regulations, state legislation would be proposed and it was increasingly affecting our members. We can point to a number of examples. California recently and several years ago instituted the new orthodontic assistant program. Advertising restrictions, scope of practice issues are coming up, and those directly affect orthodontists. We didn't have a mechanism because we don't have the manpower really to to get into a lot of states and, and have a grassroots network that already exists. And to a certain extent, we, we lack the resources here to be able to track those kind of things. So last year, the House delegates set aside a specific amount of funds to help component or state organizations when something happens or something comes up in their, in their state that is going to affect the practice of orthodox. It could be a legislative uh, 
change that is either positive or negative. It could be a lawsuit. It could be a regulatory issue at the state dental board or some other level, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. And the idea is we can take those as they come up and do any number of things with those resources. We can hire a lobbyist. We can perhaps provide resources to a lawyer who's already on the job for an individual member advocating something that would affect everybody or with the state organization. So it's a way for the AO to be nimble in recognizing the reality that state legislatures, state government, and frankly, the regulatory scheme in those states, including the dental board, can very quickly and drastically affect the way an orthodontist practices. This then is for a more global kind of um, outreach that would affect all orthodontists, not just maybe one or two. That's right. It's, a, group, it's, it's, it's important to, dis, uh, to distinguish the fact that we are not, it's not a legal defense fund for individual members. If an issue comes up that is affecting all of the orthodontists equally in the state, so we're not talking about malpractice defense or anything like that. We're talking about really big kind of stuff, uh, advertising schemes, uh, scope of practice, sanitation standards, that kind of thing. And have states applied for these funds yet and anyone been approved? We have had uh, one. Texas is the first state to successfully apply for the funds, and we're in the process of helping Texas. Let's talk about what's happening in Texas. Can you give us just a quick overview, Sean? Yeah, definitely, Pam. Some of you may have seen this. I know we posted, the AAO posted on the social media sites, but more or less recently, the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Texas came down with a decision where, in essence, what they were doing was analyzing a Texas regulatory code. That's 108.54. And previously, that code barred a dentist from advertising as a specialist in any area of dentistry not recognized as a specialty by the ADA. So you had these plaintiffs that, of course, as we can only guess, were dentists practicing in specialties not recognized by the ADA. So they brought the suit claiming, let us advertise as specialists, because if you don't, under the code as written, it violates our free speech. The court ended up granting in favor of those plaintiffs, and they can now advertise as specialists or use the terms specialty or specialist when providing advertisements for their services. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we will take a deeper dive on the Texas court ruling that affects orthodontists and patients in that state and the AAO Component Legal Support Fund. Trying to straighten your teeth yourself can cause serious damage and tooth loss. Moving teeth is a healthcare procedure that needs the supervision of an orthodontist. These are experts in moving teeth and aligning jaws. For more, visit mylifemysmile.org. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Business of Orthodontics podcast. I'm Pam Paladin with Kevin Dillard, the AAO's General Counsel, and Sean Murphy, the AAO's Associate General Counsel. And in this segment, we are addressing a recent ruling on a Texas case that's been in the industry news. And Sean, what are the particulars of this lawsuit in Texas? Well, Pam, before we get into discussing the case, let me just provide a quick overview of a few of Texas's dental advertising regulations, as Great. I think it will provide a helpful backdrop. So let's start with Texas Code Section 10854, which is the code that was an issue in this Texas lawsuit you're referring to. Code 108.54 previously barred a dentist from advertising as a specialist or using the term specialty or specialist to describe services 
in any area of dentistry not recognized as a specialty by the ADA. In other words, under Code 10854, Texas dentists could specialize in non-ADA recognized fields, but they were prohibited from advertising as specialists in those fields or using the term specialty or specialist. Under Texas Code 10855, and I think a lot of members, when they heard about the Texas case, they became alarmed. But keep in mind, Texas Code 10855 is not changed at all by the Texas case. And that allowed a general dentist to advertise that he or she performs dental services in ADA specialties, but only if the advertisement includes a clear disclosure that he or she is a general dentist. So under 108.55 in Texas, even prior to this Texas case that we'll discuss here in just a moment, a general dentist could advertise orthodontics as long as it was followed by a disclosure of general dentist or general dentistry. Okay, so with that backdrop in mind, on January 21st, the U.S. District Court, so we're talking about a federal court here for the Western District of Texas, that's out of Austin, entered its ruling in the American Academy of Implant Dentistry case. If anyone wants to look it up, it's case number 1-14-CV-191. And plaintiffs in that case were several dentists, of course, dentists that were practicing in non-ADA recognized fields, as well as the American Academy of Implant Dentistry, the American Society of Dentist Anesthesiologists, the American Academy of Oral Medicine, and the American Academy of Oral Facial Pain. And those plaintiffs sued members of the Texas State Board of Dental Examiners, challenging that code we previously talked about, 108.54. And just as a refresher, because I know this probably can get a little confusing, 108.54 again, barred a dentist from advertising as a specialist in an area of dentistry not recognized as a specialty by the ADA. And just real quick to add in, the penalty, if you did violate any of these advertising regulations, is that the state dental board could issue some sort of disciplinary action, which could include up to a revocation of a dentist's license. So it was definitely something they didn't want to try to play chicken with or try to violate. So in the Texas case, plaintiff's so-called areas of expertise were not recognized ADA specialties. So that means they could not advertise as specialists. Given that prohibition, they claim that Code Section 108.54, which didn't allow them to advertise as specialists, violated their First Amendment commercial speech rights, their 14th Amendment due process and equal protection rights, and constituted what they called standardless delegation by the state dental board. In response, the Texas Society of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons, an organization whose members practice in an ADA-recognized specialty, argued that Code Section 108.54 did not violate the Constitution because, as we discussed previously, Pam, it prevented advertisements that could potentially mislead the public. And not just could, they argued they would mislead the public. In its order, the court rejected plaintiff's 14th Amendment and standardless delegation arguments. So really, the court's entire order came down to, is Section 108.54 a violation under the First Amendment in terms of a free speech issue? As for that challenge, the court sided with the plaintiffs. In rendering its decision, the court stated that the plaintiff's desire to advertise as specialists was not inherently misleading, and the potential for plaintiff speech to mislead the public was not an adequate justification for its outright ban. So they really had an issue with, you cannot advertise at all. 
The court also found that the defendants had produced no evidence of actual deception. And real quick, you cannot advertise as a specialist at all. Gotcha. That's what they had issue with. The court also found that the defendant had produced no evidence of actual deception associated associated with advertising as specialists in non-ADA-recognized fields. There was no evidence to suggest any of the plaintiff's fields were illegitimate or unrecognized, and there had been no accusation that any of the plaintiff's organizations were shams. So what does that mean? It really came down to an evidentiary issue. The defendants in this case, again, the ones that said that the plaintiffs should not be allowed to advertise as specialists, did put forward some evidence. The court rejected that evidence. So in the end, they said, look, you've shown us no evidence that in our mind would see advertising as a specialist for these plaintiffs to be misleading. In addition, the court commented that it was inappropriate for the state to simply rely on the ADA's choice of specialties rather than setting out its own uniform criteria for what could qualify as a specialty. What they were saying in their opinion then to the state is, look, you should come up with your own set of criteria and not just simply defer to the ADA as to what constitutes a specialty. In conclusion, the court held that Texas Code 108.54 was an unconstitutional restriction on plaintiff's free speech, and as a result, they prohibited its enforcement. The court went on to bar the Dental State Board from enforcing that code to the extent it prohibited plaintiffs from advertising as specialists or using the term specialty or specialist to describe an area of dentistry that was not recognized as an ADA specialty. Wow. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this uh, through a, a couple of different filters. One is as a consumer, and, and you're talking about the, the free speech issue, at what point does their free speech impinge on, on my protection as a consumer? I'm looking to my government entities to protect my health as a consumer. And that's absolutely uh, a valid concern, Pam. And one, when the court came down with its decision, it seemed to indicate to the defendants here that were trying to argue that the plaintiff should not be able to advertise as specialists, look, show us some evidence that the consumer would be misled. And unfortunately, the evidence that they did come up with didn't get the job done, where I think just from a logical perspective, and you and I talking now and having talked with others about it, it seems like you know a pretty simple concept that if you're going to advertise as a specialist, any consumer, any patient is going to have a reasonable belief that you've met a certain criteria or a certain set of standards. And again, the worry is that this case may open the door for certain practitioners to claim that they are specialists because they're part of an association or a group that in essence isn't, you know, doesn't have a standard or a criteria that the public would view as actually qualifying them as specialists. And is your average patient or consumer going to go out and even check that and say, you know, is, is that group a valid organization? Is their criteria for becoming a member or a specialist within that group valid and one that I think is appropriate given the procedure they're about to engage in? Does this ruling, Sean, have any effect on AAO members in terms of them advertising as specialists in the state of Texas. 
Well, again, they've already been able to advertise as specialists. And and let me remind our members, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring up those other advertising regulations before we started talking about the cases, previously a general dentist could advertise orthodontics. They just had to qualify it afterward with general dentist or general dentistry, okay? The issue that this case brings out is there's certain organizations. I mean, if you look at the plaintiff's organizations again, the American Society of Oral Facial Pain, all right, that is not an ADA-approved specialty group. So to the extent that you may have dentists joining groups that in a way have not been classified as uh, specialties by the ADA or are in some ways ambiguous, they will, that you know, they could use this opinion in this case and leverage it to say we can now advertise as specialists. It doesn't change the fact, though, that actual orthodontists can continue to advertise as specialists themselves. Sean, how much influence will this case have uh, in terms of what what is its what is the jurisdiction of this particular court? That's a great question, Pam, and one that many of our members may have. One thing that I I want to let them know is first off, this is although a federal court, only a district court. So it, its jurisdiction is the Western District of Texas, okay? And if you get on Google, it's easy to find out exactly what that encompasses. Austin, for instance, is a city that that encompasses, okay? It is not, though, even, it, it does not have precedential or binding effect on the rest of the state of Texas or the rest of the U.S. Now, although it doesn't have precedential effect, it can be used as uh, persuasion, you know, a, another case that dealt with these same topics would most likely, if there were plaintiffs challenging a similar type of regulation in a different state, in a different federal court, would use this Texas case to persuade that court, look, the Western District of Texas decided that this was a First Amendment violation, so you should as well, okay? But it's not a a decision from the United States Supreme Court, which is considered law of the land. It's not even from the circuit court, which is the appellate level court for the state of Texas. Does this decision, though, require the dental board in Texas to change its rules then to allow this kind of advertising? Well, what's going to happen after this case comes out is the state dental board, and we'll talk about this in a brief moment, Pam, in terms of how we're getting involved, but they will want to revisit that regulation because you've just had a court say it's unconstitutional as written. So they'll want to revisit it and revamp it. But again, outside of Texas, it's not going to have any effect. Within Texas, though, this is going to definitely cause some concern for the state dental board in terms of how that regulation fits going forward. But it still could be something that other dental boards would need to be aware of. Other state legislators might be listening in and be interested in in what's going on in Texas. So this could have some far-reaching effects. Definitely, it could. And like I said, that persuasive value is something that other state dental boards other uh, orthodontic associations should be aware of and keep on the radar. But at the same time, and I only say it, and this is me definitely with my lawyer hat on, it's not binding authority. So as a former litigator, if this was a case and I was representing uh, orthodontic association, let's say in another state, and in our responsive brief, 
to the plaintiff's brief where they claimed it was a First Amendment violation and cited this Texas case, I, I would respond, Texas is not presidential and does not have binding authority here in this state. So you, the court, do not need to follow them lockstep. Instead, you can make a different decision and one that protects consumers and patients alike. So this is not a final done deal. It, it, it depends. We have not seen an appeal filed yet. We don't know if there's going to be any post-judgment activity on the case. So again, and just this is a little precursor, right now, the district court, federal district court is comparatively speaking at the state level, it's like your regular circuit court. So like a county court, it's not the appellate level. So then the next step would be if the defendants in this case, okay, that'd be the state dental board. If they appeal the case, then it goes to the appellate level. And the appellate court could, of course, reverse the district court's decision. And if they did, then more or less it would, for Texas and for this code, it would then be found to be constitutional again. So the the wonderful way the law works, Pam. Tell me, Sean, what the AAO is, is doing about this. Right. Well, the AAO is definitely getting involved. And first, let me just clear up a question that we've been getting a lot here um, in the legal department at the AAO. A lot of people want to know what role did the AAO play in the Texas case? The AAO was not a party to that lawsuit. And thus, we weren't able to participate in the actual litigation or influence that case's outcome. We didn't have any involvement in terms of the judicial side as it concerns that case and the litigation in that case. However, through the legal support fund that Kevin talked about, the AAO is in the process of hiring a Texas lobbyist. We hope to have him fully hired in the next week. We hope to then uh, have that lobbyist be able to go out and help the Texas legislature formulate and promote enforceable advertising regulations for Texas which benefit and protect consumers. That's the end game. So the AO, again, although not a party in the judicial proceedings in the Texas case, we are actively engaged on the legislative front in hiring this lobbyist and trying to be proactive in that way. What is the involvement of the Texas Association of Orthodontists in this case? So the Texas Association of Orthodontists, when the case began, they had a concern And this is a great example of how our legal fund works. They were really the first one to actually use it. They contacted the AAO. They said, this is a concern. Could we get some resources and funding to hire a lobbyist to make sure that the advertising regulations in Texas not only are enforceable, but also that they promote advertising that benefits and protects consumers. So they contacted us. We're working with them. We've hired a lobbyist that's going to be working with them to make sure whatever advertising regulations come in the aftermath, they protect and benefit Texas consumers. And as a consumer, I appreciate that. And, and I'm and I'm still floored by uh, the First Amendment that was uh, brought up in this case. I still don't understand how my fr- protecting me as a consumer is is kind of trumped by their First Amendment rights. Again, we can appreciate anyone's frustration in hearing about this case. The court, though, and I think one thing people need to get in mind, when litigation is ongoing, it's not like if you pay a set fee, you're guaranteed to win. A court, in this case, the Western District of Texas, 
was given the regulation as written. They analyzed it under the First Amendment. They said, we don't have evidence. We need an evidentiary record that the issues of the public potentially being misled is something that will actually happen. So it really seemed to be an evidentiary issue. They decided, since they didn't have that evidence, which you and I probably think is just logic enough will get you there, but they wanted the evidence, and since they didn't have it, they went ahead and said it was a First Amendment violation. That's not to say that in future cases, if the defendants, the ones claiming that, no, it's not a violation of a First Amendment speech, if there's a parallel regulation in another state, that's not to say they won't be able to come up with the evidence to get a court to say, yeah, this kind of advertising would mislead a consumer. Sean, is the AAO planning to do anything moving forward to ensure that the public has adequate information with regard to advertising of services? Yes, we are. As we talked about previously, we are in the process of hiring in the very near future a Texas lobbyist who's going to be working with the Texas State Dental Board to go over their advertising regulations. We're also going to be looking into other states that may have parallel legislation and regulations to see, are these areas of concern? At the same time, though, it's important for our members to keep us aware of these possible challenges, whether it be First Amendment or other constitutional challenges that might be popping up across the country. And that's part of the reason that we've put together this whole legal support fund, just like the Texas Orthodontic Association. If other groups throughout the country see a lawsuit pop up or see an issue pop up that they think is directly going to impact the patients and their ability to get access to orthodontic care, they can give us a call and we can walk through that process. So that's what the state organizations need to do if they have issues and they're interested in tapping the AAO Legal Support Fund. Do they contact you? Yes, they can go ahead and contact me. It's best to have kind of a formulated plan in mind when they do contact me. So if they can contact me, explain what the issue is, also explain what their possible solution is. So again, if it's current litigation, they could say, you know, we'd like to hire or help pay the the, the funds of a lawyer that's representing one of our members because we think that this litigation is going to have a ripple effect. If it's a regulation that causes them concern that's being proposed in the legislative branch, they can contact me and say, here's a lobbyist that we think would be able to definitely go into uh, different legislators and explain to them why what the proposal doesn't make sense. Terrific. So if people want to contact you, Sean, it's 800-424-2841 or smurphy at aaortho.org. That's that's it. Very good. That's a wrap for episode 13 of the AAO's The Business of Orthodontics podcast. Thanks to Kevin Dillard, the AAO's general counsel, and to Sean Murphy, AAO's associate general counsel, for updating our listeners on the AAO Component Legal Fund and on the status of the implications of the recent court decision in Texas. Join us for future podcasts as AAO experts explore questions and issues that are important to you in your orthodontic practice. If you have subject areas you'd like addressed on a future podcast, please email them to info at aaortho.org or call 800-424-2841. This is Pam Paladin. Thanks for listening to the Business of Orthodontics podcast, episode 13.